Welcome back to another episode of Answering Religious Error for our Tuesday studies as we look at the topic of why I believe. We're going through several studies today, and today we're going to talk about why I believe I can repent. And so I think there's a lot of doubt that a lot of folks have. I've met a lot of people over the years that just, oh, they just said, I've, I'm, I'm too bad or I'm unworthy. And we're going to address some of those things in our lesson today. But we want to remind you to join us every Tuesday at noon Eastern Standard Time for the Answering Religious Error Tuesday live Bible study. But also, if you have any questions or comments, uh, you might want to join us for the Wednesday study. That's every Wednesday at noon for the live Bible Q&A. And if you have questions for that program, go ahead and send those in to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. That's the best way to reach us. You can also uh, make comments on this lesson and that lesson uh, through Facebook. Uh, go to Answering Religious Error and YouTube. Again, go to Answering Religious Error because if you comment on a shared page, uh, we might not be able to see those. But we appreciate everyone who views us, who shares with us, and uh, who asks the questions. Of course, today is not an uh, open question and answer. Uh, so if we don't get to your question, we'll certainly forward that along to the Q&A group. But we want to remind you that this program, as well as all of Answering Religious Error programs, uh, show up a little bit later in the day through podcasts. So just go to Spotify or Amazon Music or Apple, whatever your favorite podcast player is, and more than likely you'll find us there. And of course, you want to start every day with uh, your favorite podcast. That is The Daily Answer with Mark Dunnigan. And so you can start your day with 15 to 20 minutes of encouragement, uh, interesting stories from uh, his life, his experiences, and of course, how all these things tie into uh, what the Bible teaches us in regard to living uh, the Christian life. And I've seen over the years, or over the months, it's, it's going on in a couple of years, I think, uh, he's uh, almost up to 200 programs. And so uh, go back and you'll have a lot of great material that you can listen to and start your day as early as 5 a.m. on the Daily Answer podcast. Speaking of Mark Dunnigan and the rest of the guys, uh, we are all here together today uh, to discuss why I believe I can repent. We have Mark Dunnigan with us. Of course, Bob Myhan is with us. We'll make mention of his program on Monday nights as he has Bob's Bible Basics, taking us currently through studies of the Holy Spirit and Mark Gibson. Good to see you guys today. How's everyone doing? doing great, Excellent. Man. I'm doing fine. Mm -hmm. Well kind of assumed you all were since we talked about that a few moments ago. So we'll go ahead and not beat around the bush and get right into our study. But let's first begin with a prayer. And so if you'll bow with me. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer, thanking you for this time that you have allotted us to have a few moments to discuss your word, to discuss the important matter of repentance, that we can repent. It's something that you not only uh, command of us, but that you have given us the ability to do we can change and we can change for the better. We can change for the good and we can change according to your word. And so please help us to humble ourselves in your sight that we may make the changes from the world and from Satan's ways and that you will change us spiritually so that we can have a hope for an eternal life in heaven. Thank you for those that are listening to our program today. And thank you for these good men and their uh, good, encouraging words that they can share with others. Uh, may we have open hearts and open ears and apply these lessons to our lives. Help us to praise your name in all that we do. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right, Mark Dunnigan. Amen. Yeah, Chris, great to, great to see you. Great to see you guys on the show today. First question, Chris, just throw that up on the, uh, on the screen. As noted, here I am in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, 
and uh, we'll get the first. And uh, there, there's some Rhode Island cuisine, Chris. I don't know if you knew it, but they have coffee milk. I think coffee milk is the thing up here. There's a certain clam they have and hot wieners. And what those are, I think they're little, little hot dogs made out of like veal, etc. And a guy lines up on his hairy, sweaty arm. He lines up the buns. And <laughs> yeah, that's the way they do it. That's the way. And on the I, there's this little, there's kind of hamburger on top, kind of the seasoned little ground beef on top and onions and some mustard. But uh, I was talking to someone recently, Chris, and, and, and I was talking about getting some. And they said, well... If you do, make sure you're close to, and I said, a bathroom? <laughs> they said yes. <laughs> so, so just that's a kind of a heads up on that. Um, do we have a free will? And this is an interesting question, Chris, because if we, if we don't, man, I got some questions if we don't have a free will. Because first of all, as a culture, what are we doing putting people in prison and holding them accountable for their actions if, 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 if we're owning up that no one has a choice. But not only that, Chris, here's the, here's the thought like, man, if you come at this from the standpoint, you have no free will, then how could God ever condemn you for anything that you did or said? That that's I, I just don't know how to figure that one out. If I don't generally have a choice in the matter, then why do I need Jesus? Why do I need salvation? And how could I ever be accused of any sin? But gentlemen, I'd like, and so those are just some thoughts that were running through my mind. And I know the gentlemen have some other passages here, but according to the Bible, do we have choice? Do we have a, a free will? You know, God told Adam not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, by issuing that command, it was implicitly possible that Adam could eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he was forbidden to do so. And he was told that the consequence of that would be he would die. And of course, Adam shared that information with Eve after she was created and Satan tempted her. She ate, Adam ate, and they died. They were separated from God. And so they manifested free will. And when God said, get out of the garden, they left. And so uh, they obeyed God. They left uh, in that regard. They left the Garden of Eden. They still had the, the free will to do what God told them to do then. And so they didn't lose their free will when they sinned. They had their free will from the time that they were beginning. Began. Uh, Cain and Abel had free will. Uh, Abel, uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. And God held him responsible and accountable for that. And uh, so from time immemorial, we see throughout the Bible that man has free will. And just as Adam and Eve were held accountable for their violation of God's command, so will we be. And so we need to make sure that we do everything we can to uh, cooperate with God by keeping his commandments. And then when we realize we have not done so, we have the free will to repent, as you pointed out. Bob, and, and before the other Mark jumps in here, Bob, you make a good point. I think the audience needs to ponder that a little bit. I think particularly uh, the sons of Adam and Eve, that is, if you come at the Genesis story from the perspective of um, 
total depravity happens as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, that would mean that Cain and Abel get hit with a lot of it. <laughs> okay. But the problem is Cain, Abel's committed for his faith. But if that's not really his faith, th then why are we commending him? Okay. The other thing, Bob, you make a good point is that you're right. God views Cain as having choice because in Genesis 4, God says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Well, that's kind of a mute point if Cain can't do well. If you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. So the direct offspring of Adam and Eve, the second generation, is not totally depraved. They do have choice, even though sin has entered the world. Mark Gibson, what do you got? Those are all great points. I appreciate those. I, I just add that this free will of which you speak, often we have called it free moral agency. It's it's the concept of what Bob was talking about, that God has created us with the ability to choose one way or the other. People often say, well, why did God, why did God create man if he knew there would be evil? And I'm not going to question the foreknowledge of God. I believe in the full and complete foreknowledge of God. But God knew as well as we must understand that baked into it in creating man that way, there was the risk, if you will, the possibility of evil, of, of choosing to not do what is right. And Bob was mentioning that, that indeed that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Man had free will to either obey God or not. And uh, the serpent arrived to convince a woman and and man through the woman to do that which was uh, unfaithful or against the will of God. I, I guess it's uh, people say, well, doesn't everybody agree with this? Well, no, uh, because there's a delicate balance between the sovereignty of God, his complete power and control, and the free will of man. And, and some people can't balance that very well. <clears throat> if we get too far over on the sovereignty of God, and we say, well, really, we don't have any free will because God controls everything. And nothing's going to happen without God wanting it to happen and making it happen. And therefore, you get the idea that often we see in Calvinistic theology that everything happens because God desired it to. You're going to get yourself in a mess there, especially dealing with the evil part of man and so forth. But but you're going to have to deal with that if you're going to say that everything happens because God determined it to happen. We're going to talk about determinism here, I think, in some upcoming uh, questions here. But that God determined everything, uh, and therefore we don't really have free will. You may have thought when you got up this morning that you chose what to eat for breakfast, but you really didn't because God had already chosen that. You just think you did. Uh, and so we live in a world where we think we're just like a blade of grass. You know, a blade of grass doesn't choose when it gets cut. It just gets cut because there's a greater power, a man with a lawnmower that makes that decision. And whether the grass believes it or not, it's going to get cut, whether it likes it or not. And we're going to be doing what we're doing because that's what God determined. But that overemphasizes the sovereignty of God and, and flushes away the free will of man. The fact is, God foreknows all things, but that doesn't mean he determines all things. Man still has the free will to make free will choices. Jesus may have said to Peter, 
when the cock crow before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. But that doesn't mean that Jesus made him do that. That simply means that he foreknew the free will choice that Peter would make. You have to balance uh, the greatness of God's sovereignty over all of his creation with the fact that he created man, unique from all other creation, with the ability to choose right or wrong. And you see that through the Bible. You shall do this, choose this, hear this, come to this, you ought to do this language over and over that shows that man is responsible. And, and if not, like you said, Mark, we're not responsible for what we do. And I don't need to apologize for, to you or to anybody else for what I say and what I do. If in fact that I'm not, I'm not responsible for doing it. And so I'm afraid many people live like that. They've been convinced by either evolution on one end or a false theology of God on the other end, that they're not responsible for what they say and do. And that's very dangerous. That is, you know, it's throughout the Bible, you have an, uh, passages I think of, and, and this would be like, it, it runs as a thread throughout the Bible, uh, from Genesis forward, if you do well, uh, Joshua 24, 15, choose this day whom you will serve. The blessing and the curse of Deuteronomy 28 through 30, uh, I have set before you life, therefore choose life. Uh, why would God set those alternatives before the nation of Israel, if they really had no choice in the matter. Uh, all the preaching of the prophets and all the calls to bring Israel back to repentance, free will. Jesus, um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, that's a choice. Come unto me, all ye here weary laden, and, 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 and I will give you rest, Matthew 11. Enter by the narrow door, Matthew chapter 7, like 13 and 14. Uh, Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31, God is now declaring all men to repent. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is not wishing that any repent or any perish, but all come to repentance. And then that passage in Acts 2, verse 40, with many other words, Peter exhorted them saying, be saved from this crooked generation. Free will is written all over that. Chris, you got any observation? Well, Bob had another comment, and then I'll make a comment on some of our viewers. You know, along with uh, Calvinism that uh, Mark, Mark Gibson brought up, there is this idea in Calvinism that if God has predetermined that you will be saved, then one of these days he's going to save you. You cannot save yourself if God did not predetermine that you would be saved. Uh, you will be lost if God did not predetermine your salvation. But because we are, our spirits are dead, according to Calvinism, we cannot will ourselves to be saved until God regenerates us. In other words, he makes our spirits alive. He regenerates us. And then we develop to some degree free will and can respond to God's uh, gracious call to salvation by repenting of our sins. But uh, you can't repent until you've been regenerated, according to Calvin. And you can't be saved until you are regenerated, according to Calvin. And so regeneration occurs before salvation in, in strict Calvinism. And of course, there are different degrees of that. But uh, a lot of people seem to be sitting there waiting for the Holy Spirit to move them. And waiting. Bob, you can't be lost either. Remember? Say you again? can't be lost either. Once you're saved, yeah. you're always saved. Again, overemphasizing the sovereignty of God. No free will before, no free will after. 
uh, as far as you can't choose not to do right uh, after you've after you've been saved. And so, yeah, God is in control of it all. We make no decisions whatsoever. We simply do what God makes us do in effect, like uh, games on uh, pieces on a chessboard. You know, Chris, it's interesting. Uh, there's a um, we've been talking about the Calvinistic implications of, of things, but there's a secular application of this. I think Brian Haynes had made a great comment, and that is that in evolutionary theory um, denies free will. And, you know, it would have to, Chris, it would have to because free will is something that's not material. And, and if you're an evolutionist, you're a strict materialist and you would get yeah, free will would be very inconvenient that, because it would say there's something in you that's not matter. That's not material. That's not the result of matter. Uh, yeah, that, that, that would be an immaterial part of you. Free will. In fact. Chris, would not free will be an evidence for a spiritual world or a non-material existence, just the very existence of free will? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, if God really operated that, that way, then he would just save everybody automatically. There would be no sin. Um, and maybe that's what people are looking for. They're looking for an excuse to sin without control, without accountability, and therefore, you can't define sin as sin or transgression, which the Bible does a heavy amount of that. But over and over again, as has already been indicated, when you look at the passages that teach repentance, it's all about what falls upon our shoulders, our responsibility. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses nine through 10 talks about the fact that uh, repentance is uh, as a result of our godly sorrow, our godly sorrow for sin. But it also says that godly uh, grief produces repentance, yet worldly grief uh, produces death. And so those are choices that I make uh, in my life as a human being to either do God's will or not do God's will and uh, suffer the consequences of those things. I mean, there's a lot of common sense reasoning to all this. I mean, we're here today preaching the truth of the gospel. Um, is it because God has made us to, or he's pre-appointed us to do this kind of thing? There are going to be a lot of people that won't agree with us. Well, is that God's design as well? Obviously not. <laughs> and so it's just an inconsistent view toward anything in life and especially toward religion. So according to the Bible, we have nothing but free will because God gave choice to man and the consequences of it from the very beginning of time. As one of our viewers says, uh, the confusion of God's omnipotence and the gift he gave man to choose to serve or not. I think a lot of times people are throwing that in God's face by saying, well, he's omnipotent. He's supposed to be all that, you know, and, uh, you know, why doesn't he just save everybody? What is, why doesn't he take away all the, the sins of the world? And why do we see so much evil out there? And I see this all the time, especially when you see the sins of the world and people are saying, well, where's God in all of this? Well, he's there. And he's judging these matters. And over and over again, the Bible teaches us that we have a choice to live righteously or against his will and uh, that there will be consequences for such. He says in Joel 2, verse 13, rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. You know, God is not the cause of these things going on in the world. 
but they are certainly a result many times um, of man's doing, of man's sin. Why? Because man abuses his free will. And basically the attitude of mankind is, well, I can do whatever I want. And you, you can. And it affects you. It affects others. And um, it's a very it's a very selfish way to 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 think. And, and here's my last point here is that what does God want us to be as Christians? He wants us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. He wants us to give our lives fully unto him. Just like what Paul, the apostle said in Colossians 2 and verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Who really does that? Who really does that? And that's a question you'll have to ask yourself. Chris, we got another question there, and you guys have made some excellent points on this particular one. You know, it's interesting if you kind of have the same problem if God controls everything, or if you go a very secular route, if everything is predetermined, then really the conclusion I would come to would be it would be wrong to resist anything. That is, if everything's predetermined, then it's God's will it's that way, then to resist it, to try to change it, well, then you're 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 operating against God. Or if it's completely secular, you know, if there is no God, but everything's kind of like, well, it's just a product, like with our next question, you're just a product, nothing more of a product of your genes and your environment. Um, then it would be like going against nature to, uh, I guess, seek to improve yourself or seek to alter your environment. But gentlemen, what about this one? We hear people saying this, that, you know, you really, as was noted, people say, well, you, free will is just an illusion because at the end of the day, for example, the only reason that you married the woman that you married is because of the chemicals and atoms and et cetera, just bouncing around in your head and, and, that really wasn't your choice. It was just some sort of materialistic chemical process. That's all it was. You're just a result of your genes or environment. Gentlemen, what do you think about this one? Well, the, the question asks nothing more than a part, and that's the key there. Uh, our genetics does have an effect on how we look and sometimes our personality our environment around us will affect us. Uh, it will have a, have some influence on us. I mean, why did the proverb writer Solomon say in Proverbs 23 and verse 24, to make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You can learn, uh, condition your... Um, character by what you hang around birds of a feather flock together and uh one rotten apple can can affect the whole barrel uh paul said evil companionship corrupts good morals and we're not to be deceived that it can't so indeed we can be affected by that but the idea here is that you're no more than that you you can't help yourself uh there's nothing you can do about it uh, about the environment, your background, where you grew up, and people will use that as an excuse. Well, I, I can't help it. That's that's the way I was raised. Uh, that was the environment I came in. So you just have to accept that. Is that so? Well, I've, uh, what about the example over in the book of Titus, where Titus was left on the island of Crete and was told by Paul in verse 5 of chapter 1 to appoint elders in every city. 
and he gave certain qualifications for those elders, and that's of great moral character and great spiritual character those men were to be. But what environment did those men grow up in? Well, Paul said in verse 12, even a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And he said that testimony is true. That's, says, one my, that's one of my favorite verses, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. it's true. Yeah, he said it's true. These people are like that. But from among those people, Paul was to find men who were not of that character. He were to find men who were different, who had changed, <clears throat> men who could lead the churches as elders uh, in every city. Uh, and so were they just, oh, well, I can't find any, Paul. These people are just all a product of their environment. Uh, that's ridiculous. And this, this is just one example that shows that that's not true. Mark, that's a great point from Titus. Another one would be, I think, Ezekiel 18, where you have different scenarios of you have a godly man who has like a wicked son. Environment was great. Genetics are great. Son chooses to do otherwise. And then you have a young man who's born of an incredibly wicked father. In fact, the text says he even sees his own father since. He's not under any illusion. He sees dad coming home drunk. He sees dad bringing home different women every night or whatever. You know, he wakes up like, who's in the house today? And it says he determines not to do likewise. The other one I thought of, Mark, would be, how about the nation of Israel? What were their genetics? Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's some good genetics there, okay? And what about their environment? Isaiah 5. God says, hey, I had a vineyard, and I gave this vineyard everything it needed. And what else could I have done? And yet with tremendous genetics and with an amazing environment in the promised land and with an amazing law, they go astray. Bob, you got any thoughts? Yes, this whole idea of uh, uh, everything is material, that there's nothing spiritual at all. I don't believe that can explain love any more than it can explain free will. Uh, why do we love the people that we love? Well, we don't always know why we love them. We just find something in this person, character, uh, spirituality, uh, to some degree, certainly, it, it's physical appearance. Uh, but usually, love goes far deeper than physical appearance. It goes far deeper than uh, things of a material nature. Uh, and as far as rejecting uh, that which has been predetermined, if everything was predetermined, we can't, even our rejection is predetermined. And so, no matter what we do, according to that, it was predetermined that we do. And so if we sin, it was predetermined that we sinned. If we uh, repent, it was predetermined that we would uh, repent. And so uh, there is no accountability, no responsibility. And again, no explanation whatsoever for free will. Changing your mind, how can changing your mind be simply a matter of genetics or a matter of the uh, molecules in your brain, your brain cells, uh, changing your mind. Your mind is more than your, your brain. Your mind is that which is housed within your brain. Your mind is you. It's your, the inner man. There's the inner man. There's the outer man. The outer man, yes, uh, determined a lot by genetics and by physics, by geography. Uh, but the inner man is self-determined. 
we can rise above our beginnings. Look at Saul of Tarsus. He was raised a Jew, a Pharisee, hated, hated Jesus, hated the people that worshiped Jesus, was determined to destroy those people. But when he came face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he changed. He got in the city. He didn't do what he had left Jerusalem for Damascus to do. He was without sight, fasting and praying for three days, waiting for somebody to do what Jesus said they would do. Tell him what he must do. And Ananias came and told him to rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Paul did that. Because he knew that this man who recovered his sight could tell him what he must do in order to make himself right with God in Jesus Christ. And so, and so I can't think of a man who suffered more in the first century for the gospel's sake than Paul. But I believe Paul realized that he had it to do because he had caused so much suffering among the Lord's people. And he realized that the Lord suffered greatly for him as well as everyone else. And anybody that gives thought to that has to be impacted by that on not just a, a mental, but a, an emotional level. And if that, if the cross doesn't change people, uh, then nothing can change them. Uh, and that's, that's, that's why it's so important that we understand what God did, why God did it and that we can change. We can be more like him. As a matter of fact, second Peter one, uh, tells us about how to develop the divine nature. That's what God wants for us. And it's up to us to do what God expects so that we can develop that divine nature, be more like God. You know, it's interesting that you bring up Saul of Tarsus, Bob, because there's a couple passages that really were choice and free will come when he explains to King Agrippa what he had seen on the road to Damascus and the job that he had been given to do, which he had every earthly incentive to turn down. But he will say in verse 19, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the vision. I had a choice in the matter. I could have said, nope, I'd rather be blind. <laughs> you know, not interested. Not only that, but it's interesting when Ananias shows up in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Ananias views Saul of Tarsus as having free will because he says, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. That, that's the language of choice and free will. And so, gentlemen, just excellent points there. You know, when, when people talk about this and I know to me, this is kind of like um, someone sitting in an office in a comfy chair theorizing, or this is coffee shop kind of talk, you know, you're kind of scratching your goatee or whatever and sitting in the coffee shop. And hmm. But I don't know if anyone really believes this for themselves. Now, I know there are professors and writers out there, I think, who believe this for the rest of us dummies, okay? But I think the people that really push these ideas, at, at, at a gut level, I don't think they think they're just a product of, you know, I think they think they've risen above kind of that, like, well, everybody else there is just some miserable sort of physical creature, you know, enslaved to his appetites. But me, not me. Uh, what I'm doing is actually a genuine choice. Bob, you make a good point. The idea that you're nothing more than just a product of matter and everything you do 
man, doesn't that take things like diligence and courage and self-sacrifice and love? And it just guts them. And it, it, and it really says every act of genuine courage and love that we've ever witnessed on the planet. You know what? The person that did that, they really didn't have a choice. You know, that that was not a conscious decision that they made. And so there was really nothing admirable about that at the end of the day. I don't think people really believe that. Chris, what do you got there before we go to our next question? Well, I was thinking about the aspect of genes. Um, I, I, I get a lot from my father. Uh, I'll tell you that. Uh, there was a time where perhaps we, you know, kind of got to that point where people were mistaking us for one another. Uh, but um, as much as I have very characteristics of my father, one thing I don't have is a desire to sit down in a chair and eat sardines from a can or olives <laughs> from a jar. Um, and I always kid him about that. It's like, that's one trait I never got. And I'm glad I didn't. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the things that we do in life are, you know, a product of the choices that we make. And maybe as environment was brought up a moment ago, just the things that we are subjected to, uh, certain interests that we have, loves that we have, but it's not embedded in me from a natural state to, you know, like some of the things that I like, whether it's food or entertainment or whatever it might be, or types of music. Uh, we just, we, we get those through experiences in life. And you wonder how can, how can twins uh, be born and grow up so different from one another uh, when they have the same genes and DNA and things like that? We have examples like that of, of in scripture, mm -hmm. but are we more prone to follow God? That's a choice because the Bible teaches us that we have to actually go against the natural man. So if there's any natural part of all this that we are trying to excuse ourselves with, with, that's not the excuse. God says, it doesn't matter what you're prone to do. You go against that. If it's sinful, I'll give you an example here in first Corinthians and chapter two, when we look at just the example of the, the natural man, and I don't think it's always talking about the sinful man, but the fleshly man, uh, the man that thinks with the human mind rather than the spiritual heart. And I'll just read from verse, so there's a lot you can read, but I'll just read from verses 12 and following. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but in which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Uh, how can he know them? Because, did I read that right? Uh, yeah. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For is known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And so that's a choice that we have in seeking the knowledge and the wisdom of God, which is what I think Proverbs has already been mentioned, uh, teaches us in, in, uh, <clears throat> in quite a lot of detail. Um, we can overcome the natural man. There are people that generally have a tendency toward certain temptations and addictions in life. God says we must use our spiritual man to fight against those things. And that's one of the problems that we have in the world today, that if it, if it feels right to you, do it. If, if, if in your judgment and your truth uh, tells you that this is for you, then it's okay. And it's just not. This is why we have men thinking they're women and women think they're men and 
trying, you know, all the garbage that's going on, which we're not going to get into all that right now, but that's exactly where a lot of this mentality comes from is because whatever you think your natural man's telling you, you ask yourself, what would God have me do? We are the clay. He is the potter. Let him do his work and let's humble ourselves before God. All right. You know, Chris, uh, I'm in on the sardines, sardines, sardines and olives from a jar. I'm a, uh, I know, I know. With, uh, and half and of the things you talk about sometimes, some cheese. yeah. The, in your travels, the things that you talk about, I'm thinking my dad would like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, with me. I'm with you, Chris. I'm with you, Chris. No sardines, no olives, no mushrooms. I cannot abide mushrooms. Everybody who knows me knows. I cannot abide mushrooms. Stop I, I am it, a Bob. Eater, They're good. Stop. Yes. Just stop it now. Especially <laughs> like I still eat like a kid. <laughs> yep. Especially deep fried button mushrooms. Man, I'm all over that. Next question we got, Chris, uh, kind of goes along with uh, our previous question. But I hear this, and sometimes this is thrown at Christians. That is, the only reason you're a Christian is because you're raised in a Christian home. You had Christian parents. That's the environment. If you had been born in India, you'd be a Hindu. If you had been born in Arabia, you'd be a Muslim, whatever. And so your religious faith really is not a product of your choice. It's just a product of your environment. And to be fair, for some people, that might be true. There might be some people that, yeah, pretty much why they have that faith is just because mom and dad. But, Gemin, is there more to this question? Well, I'll jump right in since uh, I am talking about, you know, my father and things like that. He he did, and my parents, uh, influenced me heavily in my belief of the gospel. Uh, but I had to grow up and make my own choices when it came to understanding God's will, applying it to my lives. I made a lot of mistakes along the way as well. But I'm glad to say that that we are Christians together, and I look forward to a home in heaven with them. On the other hand, I do know people who became Christians in spite of their upbringing, that were not raised in what we would call, quote unquote, Christian or godly homes. On the other hand of that, I also know people that were raised in godly and Christian homes, and probably more often than not, that have gone the way of the world. I know people who are Muslims today, although they were raised in a Christian home. I've known people that have gone the way of of our society's woes, homosexuality, and many other things, although they were taught the ways of the, of the, of the Lord from the Bible. So you see, everybody makes their own choice. And you can do no wrong by leading your children to the Lord. And if it sticks with them, you know, let people throw around, oh, you're just a Christian because your parents were. I'm going to say thank God to that. Because had it not been for someone down the road in our family who came to the truth, the knowledge of God's word, and I don't know a lot about the deep history of my family, but I know at least as far as back to some of my grandparents who were Christians, had they not been Christians, would I have ever come to the truth? I don't know, but I don't have to worry about that. I know that I was introduced to God's word, and for that I'm thankful. And if somebody wants to throw that in my face, I'll be like, well, you know what? If you're born with a silver spoon of the gospel, take advantage of it. Don't ruin it and don't try to play in the world to act like you got to, I don't know, stand up, you know, for your own self, your own religion. You have you'll be responsible for your own faith. Don't mistake me here. You're responsible for your relationship with God. But I thank God for every person that he's ever put in my life 
to bring me closer and closer to him. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Chris, you make a good point that, uh, man, if you're born into a home with two faithful Christians, you, you won the lottery. I mean, you really did percentage of people to get that. And I'm reminded of Jesus' statement to whom much is given, much is required. The interesting thing with this, Chris, is that, and maybe as Christians and preachers, we have a better, uh, we have a better pulse on this. You know why? Because we see so many kids that are born into that exact situation. They're brought to services from an early age. They have great teachers. Uh, they hear the word of God. They have a great interaction. They, they have a loving family and network of people that love them. Great childhood memories. And they grow up and they reject it. And I don't know, I can, I, I, I lost count. I lost count years ago of how many young people I've known over the years grew up with all those advantages and rejected it. And so I just gotta, I, I gotta say, you know, first of all, biblically, I know this is not true, but just from experience, I know a host. In fact, as we travel, Chris, probably half of the people that are members of any given local assembly were not raised in that faith are their first, gener first generation Christians. And so it's just from the experience test and the biblical test that that argument fails on both of them. But gentlemen, what else you got? Well, I have been studying with some people who were raised Hindu, but they have not only become Christians, but in some cases, gospel preachers. And they're hungry for the truth. They weren't taught the truth necessarily by their parents. Some of them were taught the truth by their parents. One preacher I know, he studied under his father who was a gospel preacher. His father had a great deal of influence in their, in their area in India, but he died uh, sooner than my friend would have, uh, would have liked. He didn't feel like he was fully prepared to step in his father's shoes, but he's doing what he can uh, to teach the gospel and prepare others uh, for teaching uh, and preaching the gospel. And we all know people who were raised in a different faith than what they have accepted as their own. And we've, we've known people who have rejected the true faith uh, because they did not like it, did not want it. Something else appealed, appealed to them more, uh, like Demas, Paul's associate who, uh, forsook Jesus because he loved this present world. And there are people like that today. Bobby, or excuse Go ahead, me, Mark, Mark. You make a good point, Bob. The, the, the interesting thing is I never find people that are unbelievers or atheists making this argument for themselves. Like, well, the only reason I'm an unbeliever is because, you know, I think they would argue, oh, no, no, it's based on evidence. I've thought it out. I'm, uh, I'm not just blindly following anybody. It's, it's interesting how they cherry pick this argument and they just, they just want to apply to religious people or certain religious people like Christians. But as far as unbelievers, oh, no, 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 that, that's a thought out. That's a reason thought out um, belief. Mark, your observation. Like you said earlier, there will be those who are Christians or have been baptized for reasons other than they were convicted. I mean, uh, not necessarily because the parents are, but because others in the family were, were going to and I need to go along. Or, All my friends are being baptized. I ought to join. And so they join it. They join the church or are added to the church more in the mind of a social club. 
or sometimes we have a denominational view of the church. And so I'm Church of Christ, like my friends are Baptists and Methodists, and that's and that's an entirely wrong view of it. But people will have that view, and just and I, you know, I'm I'm a Christian because everybody in my family is just like we're all Republicans or we're all Democrats, and without giving any view as to whether that would should be what I should be personally. Uh, but just to give again one example among the many that have been given, I know of two men who are elderly now, and both of them are are battling dementia, but both of them in their in their young years were raised by a godly Bible-believing mother in particular who taught them the gospel. One listened and learned from the mother, developed his faith, and was an elder in the church for many years. The other one that I know personally never obeyed the gospel and continues to this day. Unfortunately, his mind is, is not well, but he would argue with me over and over that I don't see how God is good. And until I believe that God really is good, I can't commit myself to him. Now there's two boys raised under the same teaching. One went one way, one went the other way. Now, if we're a product of our parents, explain that. Mark, great observation. Chris, let's go to that last question, or, or you might have a comment on what we just dealt with. But if you do, uh, then we'll go to that last question. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I would like to add one other thing in regard to um, you know the famous example, Timothy. I mean, Timothy was um, you know taught the gospel from his youth. Uh, Paul commends him for that in First and Second Timothy, and uh, he says, you know, you've known the holy scriptures. Uh, and he says, I want you to, you know, continue in these things of which you were taught, knowing from whom you've learned them. Uh, verse 15, I'm reading from Second Timothy 3, 15, that from childhood you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, the famous all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Um, this was taught to him by his mother and his grandmother. And one of the glaring absences from his spiritual life is implied in the fact that his father was a Greek. That's all it's said about him. And so we know that Paul took him as a, like a spiritual father. He refers to him many times as a, like a father to a son relationship. You go back and read Proverbs. I, I just feel like Paul's talking sometimes, uh, even though it's Solomon uh, through God. But I look at these passages and I see, okay, it can be done. Uh, Timothy made a choice and we see in our world today. And I think with father's day coming up the next week, a couple of weeks or so that, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more talk about the need for fathers in the lives of their children and especially sons who grow up to be men and become fathers themselves. Uh, but Timothy is one of those examples that you see, let God be his father, you know, and, we're given the example in Hebrews chapter 12 of uh, rendering obedience to our human fathers. And how much more should we obey our father of spirits and live? And so we need to have that respect toward the authority in our life. And if it doesn't start in the home uh, and we don't have that kind of respect, then our chances, you know, the, the notches come down as to the opportunities that will be given to us to, to make it right and to have a proper respect toward the authority of God. And one last thing I'll say about that is that when you, I, I find people that come to the Lord 
I'll just say kind of with, with ease, you might say. Um, but I also find people that make horrible, horrible mistakes in their lives and have great regrets and suffer tragedy and then find solace in the Lord. So whatever situation you might be in, you need to ask yourself right now, I need to be in the Lord and I need Jesus in my life. Whether things are going good for you, whether things are going bad for you, whether you had that upbringing in your life or not, you can change. That's a responsibility that you have and an ability that God has blessed us all with. Here's that next question. Well, you know, obviously people can change. I mean, churches are filled with change, transform people um, as you travel all across the world. The New Testament church was filled with transformed members like the Corinthians, such were some of you, and the Ephesians that were children of wrath. And Titus chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, we were once disobedient, and so we've been changed. But if you, and God declares all men repent, which means all, all of us can. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. God declares that we all repent. Gentlemen, as we close today's episode, uh, what would you include in if someone says, okay, what does genuine repentance look like? What might make up the qualities of genuine repentance? Well, someone might say sorrow, but I can be sorry about something, but not intend to change. I'm just sorry I got caught. Uh, I'm just sorry that I didn't get away with it. So sorrow itself is not repentance. Godly sorrow leads one to repentance, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. There's another sorrow that leads unto death, worldly sorrow, and that's the idea that I just got caught, and uh, I'm not so really sorry for what I did. Um, but genuine repentance uh, is, is brought by godly sorrow. It is a change of mind. It's the idea that what I was doing was wrong, and I need to make a change. I need to turn. The idea of repentance is to turn again, to turn around, to make a 180-degree change to go the other way. And that then will produce a change in my life, choices, things that I do or don't do. And those are the fruits befitting repentance that John the Baptist talked about in Luke 3. So the sorrow leads us to a change of mind, which is the idea of repentance. And then that leads to a change of life, which is the fruits of repentance that prove to others and to God that indeed that was, as you put in there, genuine. I'll just mention one other thing. Well, as a young boy, we went to a gospel meeting uh, with my parents, and uh, the title of the sermon was The Hardest Command in the Bible. Oh, I was so excited. Hardest Command in the Bible. This ought to be good. It was repentance. It was repentance. I think of, I, to me, the prodigal son seems to be a good example of owning up. You own up. There's no excuses. Uh, you admit what you've done. You call it what it is. Uh, you know, uh, it's sin. There's no excuse for it, etc. And I would say that that's just part of is that uh, you take full accountability for your actions, I think, is at least one aspect of repentance. And as you said, Mark, but that also moves you to it's really not repentance until you get rid of your sin. 
Okay. And, and that's something more than just like, well, I'm going to quit smoking. There's a lot of people that quit things, but I think it's, I think people forget I give up my sin, but I move towards God at the same time. I, I just don't give something up because it's a health issue. Now I give up something that God says is wrong and I move towards him and I seek, to, and, and I'm willing to do whatever he says to do. I'm willing to do whatever he says to become Christian. I don't argue with baptism. I don't argue with being the member of the church. I don't argue with attendance and responsibilities. That's also part of genuine repentance. Bob, what do you got? Well, I like to mm, appreciate uh, Mark Gibson bringing up uh, Paul's statement to the Corinthians in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 7, godless sorrow produces repentance, worldly sorrow produces death. I think this is illustrated very well in the difference between Peter and Judas Iscariot. Peter denied Jesus three times in fulfillment of Jesus' prediction. And as soon as he denied the third time, the cock crowed the second time. Peter looked at Jesus. Jesus was looking right at him. Peter wept, went out and wept bitterly. And later we see that he is restored. Judas, on the other hand, when he sees that Jesus has been condemned to, to death because of his own actions, he experienced remorse. I think the word repentance is used in some translations, but it's not the same word as uh, repent in Acts 2.38. It is simply a remorse that he experienced. And he went out and hanged himself. It was a worldly sorrow, not a godly Sorry. And I really believe that that is a kind of an emotional breakdown. I think this accounts for a lot of emotional breakdowns today. People have, have uh, taken action or they made, made their lives so miserable. They can't, and, and especially for their family and they can't face their family and they have an emotional breakdown, but there's no godly sorrow there oftentimes. And so they don't come to God in repentance. Uh, and so that that is that is one of the differences I think there that we need to understand. Also, in, in Luke chapter three, when John the Baptist is preaching, the people come to him when he says, "Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance." Uh, the tax collectors came to be baptized and said to him, "Teacher, what shall we do?" He said, "Collect no more than what is appointed for you." That was a common sin among tax collectors. Uh, the soldiers asked, saying, "What shall we do?" Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Those were sins common to the soldiers. And so uh, there are various manifestations of repentance, uh, depending upon what it is we are repenting of, what kind of life we have lived, how we have been characterized. Uh, but it all begins in the heart with that godly sorrow, the determination to cease doing my own will and begin doing God's will. You know, also on the, on the last point that we, the preceding question, Cain and Abel, I can't think of any two people who, who were raised in as close to the same environment as Cain and Abel. They didn't each have their own separate friends. <laughs> there were no other friends as far as we know. Uh, we don't know when their brothers and sisters were born, but they were both products of the same home and Abel made the choice to do what was right. And Cain did not make that choice and Cain did not repent. 
Bob, good observations. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the show today and thanks for everyone who tuned in. Uh, Chris, any final observations as we sign off? And it's one more. It's one more there in the A.R.E. vault. Absolutely. Looking forward to next week's lesson. I think we're going to be talking about the need for the church and uh, looking forward to that. But in order to be a part of that, you need to follow that example, as mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Uh, we have an example there of people that were not only baptized, but as the admonition goes, I often like to say that the, the first command given to the newfound church was to repent and be baptized. Uh, that was the first thing that they needed to do, because what happened before is that they were cut to the heart because they had just been accused of murdering their very Savior. So who were the first Christians? Aside from the apostles and those that were with them, it was the murderers of Jesus Christ. And if he for, can forgive them, he can forgive us. And uh, so when you are struggling with the idea of repentance, those people repented and they repented in a big way. And they didn't know everything about the gospel and about church organization. They were just starting these things. But uh, what changes? What, what does repentance include? It's going to have to be obviously a change of morality. But you know what? There's a lot of good moral people out there right now that are lost in sin because they have not yet called upon the name of Jesus Christ. You need to change your spiritual state, and you do that through Christ, through baptism into Christ, having your sins washed away. You change your belief. You change your, your mind. You change your heart. And the Bible just teaches us over and over again the, the necessity of change, to change from that natural man to a spiritual man, and we can do it. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17, in conclusion, says, that uh, we become a new creation. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you want to be new? Then be part of Jesus Christ. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with us today. Looking forward to our further studies. I know some of you will be on the program tomorrow for the live Bible Q&A, so look forward to seeing you then. We want to invite everybody, of course, to be back with us next Tuesday as we continue our studies in our series, Why I Believe. As we go through various things, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we will be talking about the need for the church and why we believe the church is necessary. And that's another thing that much of our world struggles with today. They think they can have God without the church. So be sure to tune in next week. And then, of course, uh, tomorrow is the live Bible Q&A, as we always mention. If you have any questions or comments to be answered on air, please send those through email to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. And we'll take those questions, add them to the lineup. Some of you have uh, in recent weeks uh, told us, oh, you haven't got to my question yet. And don't worry, they're still there. Uh, we, we do have a lengthy list from time to time. And uh, sometimes we get a little backlog. So if you'd like to have a question uh, answered directly, make sure when you're watching the show that you go to facebook.com backslash answering religious error or the YouTube channel, again, answering religious error. And uh, they'll be able to see your comments there and sometimes take those live as well. We also want to encourage you to watch uh, Bob Myhan for his program called Bob's Bible Basics every Monday night at seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Or is that? Yes, I think that's right. Um, and, uh, and is that right, Bob, or not? Shake your head yes or no. <laughs> you said, if you said yes, you, eight, you, you were right. Okay. No, I said seven. So that'd be seven Eastern Time, right? Okay. Uh, so anyway, sorry to confuse everyone on that. Just, just go to YouTube and uh, look up Bob's Bible Basics and you'll see him right there. Hey, thanks for joining us today on Answer Religious Air. We look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, have a good week. 
Uh, may God be with you and uh, strive you know, to repent and make things right in the sight of God.